So let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord's blessing um, on his word, on his word this morning. Father, I want to thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for everything that you give us, uh, even this opportunity to listen to your word. I pray that um, that we are open to hear your voice and we pr I pray that we're open to listen to your word because it's only your word that can transform us and change us. So, Father, I pray this morning, have your way uh, and accomplish your will uh, through your word and by your spirit into the hearts of all those that are listening. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've got changes again. And always when I think about changes, I think about one thing that generally comes to my mind when there's changes like this uh, is that Jesus Christ hasn't changed. And I always think about the fact that he is Lord. And I want us to remember this morning, before I go in and share with you some things from God's word, I want us to remember one really important thing in God's word this morning and that Jesus Christ never stops being Lord. Amen. So he's Lord. He's Lord of our lives. He's Lord of the situation we're in. He's Lord of the universe. He's just Lord. And the Bible declares this. And whether people declare it to be him Lord to be today or whether they're going to declare it one day, it doesn't really, not it does matter, but it doesn't change things. Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're reminded in Philippians here when the Bible says this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And in those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. Yeah, that's found in Philippians 2. And this is a beautiful reminder that every knee is going to bow and say that Jesus Christ is Lord because he is. He's Lord. The question for us today is Christians, as his followers, and anyone in this world, do we make him Lord of everything in our lives? Because at the end of the day, Lord isn't a title. The, 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 the word Lord isn't just about a title for a Christian. It's an, act of, it's an act of faithfulness and obedience to him because you don't call someone Lord and then act like he's not Lord. When you say, when you declare someone your Lord, you declare it by the Spirit of God who moves us to recognize and to live knowing that He is Lord of every day of our lives. And so I want to encourage you this morning that whatever the situation is, whether in your workplace, I want you to think about it for a moment. Is are you making him Lord every in every situation of your life, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your homes, whether it be in your families, whether it be in your extended families even, whether it be through this pandemic or whatever the situation may be, the question continues to remain for the Christian, are you making him Lord? Are we making him Lord? Because the moment that we can find a place of trusting in him in everything and completely and not, no longer trusting in ourselves alone, when we can actually come to this place of trusting him, then we completely, then we find ourselves free. We're free. Because at the end of the day, this is what God is calling us to, to find a place of where we can trust in the Lordship of Christ. And I pray this morning that you're reminded that <clears throat> circumstances always change. We don't need a pandemic to tell us that. Our lives tell us that. <laughs> Our family situations tell us that. We don't need a global problem to tell us that. But the question remains that we keep him Lord of our lives and Lord of our hearts, knowing steadfastly that God hasn't changed, that God is on the throne and that we can trust him and we can hold on to him. He's Lord, brothers and sisters. He is Lord. Declare him. I remember a song that we used to sing years ago um, and, and I loved it. It was like a quite a slow song, but it was a beautiful song, Rain in Me. 
Yeah, remember Rain in Me, for those who um, have been in the church long enough, you'd remember that we'd sing this song quite often. And the lyrics are beautiful. Let me read them to you. It says, Rain in me, rain in me, meaning take control, Lord, be Lord, be sovereign in everything that I do. Rain in me, sovereign Lord, rain in me. Then it goes on to say, captivate my heart. Let your kingdom come. Establish there your throne. Where's there? My heart. All the things I love and I'm passionate about, all the things I desire and I want and the goals of life, all the things that I plan, all these things. He says the song, the, 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 the prayer is establish there your throne. Let your will be done. Beautiful. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful song. The idea that we're saying to God, you are Lord, you are sovereign Lord, reign in me and establish your throne on, on, the, on the seat of my heart. How beautiful is that? Are you doing that? Are we doing this? He is Lord, brothers and sisters. And because he's Lord, I want to share with you this morning something really significant. Because he's Lord, he decides from the beginning of time and even before the beginning of time, he has decided what is good and right for this world. Hasn't he? We, you know, he, he has accomplished, he has established what is good and proper for his creation. When he created this world, God didn't create this world and say, okay, go now and find your way, you know, navigate this world and, and come up with your best answers and your best solutions. You know, thank God he didn't do that because we would destroy ourselves, no matter what people say. But at the end of the day, God has given us what is good and proper and needed for us so that we can uh, live life for his kingdom in the best possible way. God's done this. God's restored this and he's put us on a path today that is most precious and most beautiful. When the Christians, when the Christians were entering into this world and going out and preaching the gospel, they, had, they were known as quite a, a strange group of people because they were disturbing what the world was considering to be normal. Do you, remember, you know that? Do you remember that? They were disturbing this. They were considered to be people who were kind of pushing back at the norms of society, pushing back at the philosophies of society, pushing back at the ideas of society. Because really, at the end of the day, the society had got so depraved and so fallen that all Christians were doing was speaking truth. But for the world, it was like they were pushing against them. But really, it's because the world was so fallen. All, all Christians was doing of bringing back what God originally had said was good for this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the world has drifted so far that they heard the truth and thought, what's this strange doctrine? <laughs> because they were so far from the truth. And the world today is the same thing. You preach something, you preach something, they think, oh, what's this old-fashioned doctrine or what's this strange thing that you're teaching? This is not how we know life to be. And they push against it because their heart loves their experiences and, and really at the end of the day they love darkness more than light. But I want to share with you a few verses this morning to show how God um, what God has done is God has, has restored and turned things back the way it's meant to be. I want to read a scripture this morning um, just to start us off, and then I've got a few scriptures I want to make reference to. But if you turn with me to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look at just, um, uh, just two or three verses from verse 6, and this is where the disciples were preaching and uh, the people of the day were getting quite disturbed by this preaching. And so they were going around and trying to cause a disruption for the Christians. And they come to a place of the house of, of Jason. 
And um, I'll, I'll read, read this passage for you, Acts 17 from verse 6. Yeah, Acts 17 from verse 6. <clears throat> Remember they're going around looking for the Christians and looking for, um, I think it was particularly Paul they were looking for in this context. But when they did not find them, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out. Now, what do you think they're going to cry out? Listen to, the, listen to their cry. <laughs> listen to the, what's disturbing them, what's bothering them, you know, what, what these Christians are, are accused of doing, crying out. These who have turned the world upside down. What a bizarre thing to say. Have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Jason has harbored them, has, has taken them into his house. And these are all acting, listen, contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. <laughs> well, of course there's another king. He's the king of kings. He's King Jesus. But listen to the language here. They're disturbed because what Christians are doing, Christians are turning things upside down. They're, they're introducing something that's different to what they're used to, to the decrees of Caesar. They're, they're introducing another king. They're, they're saying they're pushing back and saying, oh, this world isn't the way the world is meant to be, how God's designed it. And the, and the non-Christian is receiving it like, oh, they're causing problems. They're turning the world upside down. Boy, wouldn't it be beautiful if that's what people said of you and me? Wouldn't it be beautiful the way we lived our lives, that we were so consistent in working, living the truth and, and living for Christ, that we are considered as people who are turning the world upside down because of our faith? I want to suggest something, brothers and sisters. Listen carefully to this, and this might sound a little bit confusing, but I'll try and explain what I'm trying to say. We are not turning the world upside down. When a Christian turns the world upside down, in fact, what he or she is doing is turning the world the right side up. Because the world already is upside down. It's already gone far from the truths of God. So when God brings his truth back into the world, back into relationships, back into homes, back into communities, back into schools, back into churches, when God brings his word back into these communities and these places, he actually flips it the right way up because it's already upside down. It's fallen and it's damaged because of sin. Do you get it? It feels like to the world upside down, but they're already upside down. This is going to test people's memories. And if you're as old as me, you're probably going to remember this children's show. But I used to love it. Some of you will remember the character Mr. Squiggle. I don't know if, if, if the, some of the children might know it. I'm not too sure. Mr. Squiggle is something as a child I used to love watching. I used to love watching Mr. Squiggle because he had this interesting way, like a puppet on strings there yeah, with this pencil as a nose. And the children used to hand, used to submit drawings to him. Well, they weren't quite drawings. They were just lines on a paper. And what Mr. Squiggle used to famously do was he used to join the lines and make a picture of them. But typically what he used to say always, I think it was Miss Jane, he used to always say to her, once he'd finished the picture, everyone tried to guess what the picture was, he used to say, no, no, upside down, upside down. So, he used to, so then the, the host would flip the picture around and, of course, lo and behold, was the beautiful picture he drew. So while the right way up or, you know, the first way up, it was kind of looked like a maybe a, a fish in the sea. When you flipped it around, it was like, you know, a, a duck with a hat. 
I don't know, something like that. And so it was always, he was always would say upside down, upside down, because his drawing was meant to be turned around to be the right way up. When I think about this, when I think about this very, very simple illustration, I think this is the picture of the church. What the church, what God is doing, God has already got a beautiful blueprint. He's got a beautiful drawing of this world. He's got a beautiful way that this world should be. It's all throughout scripture. He's given it to us in his word and he's given us the example through Christ. It is the most perfect blueprint drawing this world could ever have. But the world turns it upside down. And we as Christian bring, Christians, we bring this truth back into their lives in, and by the power of God's spirit, we bring this up and we turn it back the right way. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. But I know that the enemy, the enemy is trying again and again to turn things the wrong way again. The Bible tells us in, in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't follow the pattern of this world because the pattern of this world is messed up. It's confused. It's the wrong way around. It's leading to destruction. It's leading to despair. It's going to break things down. It's going to destroy homes and communities. That's the way or the pattern of this world. And the Bible's saying, don't follow the pattern of this world, which was going to destroy your soul and the things around you. He goes, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Turn it the right way up. So the devil is very good at doing this. He'll turn everything the wrong way around. But he'll do it in a way that will convince you. Hey, if you do this, doesn't it feel good? If it feels good, do it. But that's the wrong way around. You don't do things because it feels good. Oh, but doesn't your heart tell you it's right? If your heart tells you it's right, do it. But is that what the scripture teaches? Because my heart tells me it's right. Or is there something far greater that turns truth the right way up? Listen to, listen to the devil in the, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness with Jesus. What did he say to Jesus? He said to Jesus, you know what? If you, he showed him all the kingdoms in, his, in their glory. And he says to Jesus, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. Because what's the devil doing to Jesus? He's turning everything upside down. What, worship the devil and, and, and have all these glories? For sure it's not right. And Jesus, of course, comes back with truth and spins it the right way up. You get that? It happens all throughout scripture where the enemy's trying and what he's done, unfortunately and sadly, he's actually managed to captivate and to capture many people, many, many people in this world and, and convince them out of the fallenness of their condition to convince them that the upside down is the right way. That's so sad. And I think there's people listening today who still believe that the upside down is the right way. They're living their lives based on what they think to be good and proper, uh, not prepared to make Jesus Lord of their life. That's very sad. It will come at a cost, beloved, when you turn things the right way around, but it's going to come at an incredible blessing as well. It will come at a cost because people won't understand you. People will look at you and say, you're strange maybe. You're odd. Why are you doing it this way? That's not helpful, is it? But they don't quite understand that the blessing isn't doing it the way the world does it or the pattern of this world. The blessing is finding it in the truths of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 where it says this, in regard to these, 
they think it, listen to the language here, they think it's strange, weird, um, odd. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood, right? It's like it's everyone's going the same direction, the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. You know what that's trying to say? That dissipation is basically sensual activity, anything that's sensually based. And the preceding verses were talking about things like idolatries, drinking parties, drunkenness. And it says in the next verse, they think it odd that you don't follow with them in the same flood of dissipation. They speak evil of you. They say, oh, you're crazy. You're weird. You're a weirdo because you don't do these things. You, you like, like to live like this, nice and proper. And they use all sort of language to intimidate you and make you feel humiliated because you want to follow Christ. But at the end of the day, the, what is happening is you're turning things the right way around. They are upside down. And thank God for the truth, God's blueprint and drawing that is perfect for his people, his kingdom and his creation. Thank God for this, that God begins to restore things the way they should be restored. And it's sad when we watch the world and they look at things that are damaged and upside down and they say to themselves, this is normal. Isn't that, isn't that sad? They say it's normal. Or even more than normal, they say they justify it. They justify it, but it's so fallen and so damaged. So the damaged, the damaged life is considered to be normal now. The damaged world now is justified. I'll give you an example. You hold a grudge against someone and you say, you know what? I've got to hold a grudge against someone because it's necessary for them. It's normal. It's justified. Or, or someone manipulates someone else to do something and they think, oh, this is exciting. I can manipulate them to do this and go against their will or, or go against their consent and, and they manipulate and, and, and it's like it's exciting. All of a sudden, it's, it's normal, it's justified and exciting. What's damaged? What's ought to be damaged in the eyes of God? What's damaged? But thanks be to God, who Jesus Christ, who's Lord, brings all things and repairs things and places us on a path that is most beautiful and proper for the Christian. And God says this because we know ultimately it's for his glory. And I believe he says not only for my glory, because it's for your good. So I want to share with you some verses just briefly this morning, some verses, and I want, to, I want you to see where the pattern in these verses, where Jesus Christ, because of his truth, comes in and, and flips things the right way. He flips things the right way because the world has twisted them and become damaged. He becomes Lord of these situations because he, because he knows the world, has, has fallen so much that they've got it the wrong way around. So Christians must turn the world upside down again. I'll give you some examples. And I don't want you to turn to these passages because you'll be flicking through your Bible a lot, but I'll give you the reference because maybe you want to write them down and maybe you want to look at them later. If you're quick enough to return to them, that's up to you, but please stay, stay concentrating on what I'm sharing with you um, because I'll go through them fairly quickly. And look at the pattern in these verses. I want, to just, I want you to consider what Jesus is doing here. And, what, and these are, fortunately, they were all in the book of Matthew, which I think suggests something as well about who Jesus was speaking to. But but this is, but but I'll, I'll read them out to you and I'll, I'll share them with you. The first one is Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 46 to 47. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, For you 
Love those who love you. So I started again. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You get it? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? For if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? See what Jesus is doing here? He's flipping around something that is considered in the world's thinking and the world's ideas and philosophies to be normal. He's turning around saying, what are you doing? Consider what you are doing to the people around you. Consider with the people that you're greeting and the people that you're loving and the people that you're helping. He says, why are you focusing on helping and loving and greeting those who just greet you? What is that? Because anyone can do that. That's just the world. That's how the world does it, because I want to flip it around. I don't want you just to be focusing on those who love you and greet those who greet you. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider loving those who don't love you and greeting those who don't greet you. Consider this. Turn it around. Go and reach out to those who may not be like you who may not have the values you have, who may not make you feel comfortable all the time, who may not fit your picture of what is proper. Go and be a light to them. You know, it's interesting how Christians have been criticised in the past about the way we've treated different communities and in the, way we've, um, the way we've been um, quite oppressive in different ways. But at the end of the day, we are, will give account to our actions. Today, today, and I'm not saying it hasn't happened in the past, but today is the same. If you cannot love the unlovable or love those who are different to you or love those who don't have the same values as you, there's a problem. Flip it around, brothers and sisters. Don't go to the people you're most comfortable with. Don't always look at the ones that are going to make you feel good. Always the ones that are going to give you something. Consider the heart of Jesus who didn't seek to receive all the time, but rather he sought to give truth to others. That's why in James 1, there's a beautiful passage. I think it's James 1 where, where James addresses the issue of the man who comes into the fellowship who may not be like everyone else. He may be poor. He may look miserable. He may be untidy. He may be smelly. And, and James is saying, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're pushing him to the back of the church and you're bringing the rich person to the front of the church. Because this is wrong for the Christian. This is not right. God has to flip this around. You do not have these um, uh, pretty, uh, comfortable cliques that, that really ought to, uh, ought to be smashed by the truths of God. So Jesus flips it around. He says, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to greet all that God brings in your way, that, that God is placing on your heart to do. You've got to, you've got to work with what is before you, not run from it. And this is the, the beauties of God. This is the, the beauty of God, flipping it around. Look at another one, uh, Matthew 10, verse 39. Matthew 10, verse 39. Listen to what the Bible says here. Jesus is saying, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He flips it around again. He talks to the people and says, okay, I want you to consider something for a moment. If you spend your whole life trying to find it, and, and there are many people who do this, they try and find purpose, they try and find the direction, their future, their career, they try and find this in a way that hasn't got God in the picture. 
It says, if you try and do this, if you try and find your life, and there are many people who do this, and not just not put God in the picture, but conveniently what some people do this is this. They put God in the picture, but he's one part of the picture. He's not at the center of everything. And he's trying to say to the people, if you try and find your life, if you're trying to find purpose and meaning and eternity in a way that is um, um, that is not with God at the center of it, because you're going to lose your life. Yes, but I want you to flip it around and I want you to consider something here for a moment. I want you now to lose it for my sake, strip it all back and put Christ back in the middle and he goes and find your life. That doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that you don't plan your future and you don't plan your career. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's just saying, you know what? You can't do this without me at the center. You need to surrender every desire and every plan and every goal and every attitude. You need to surrender it to me and allow Christ to be Lord of all. Because if you find it, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. Hallelujah. These are the truths of God. Are we willing and are we prepared to put Christ at the center of every future decision, every career decision, uh, every goal that we have, every life with purpose and meaning, putting Christ at the center and allowing him, allowing him to live and reign and rule in our lives. This is the blessing of the Christian. This is the Christian who can profess Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise God. Jesus Christ is Lord. He flips it around. He takes what the world is considered to be uh, good and proper, and he says, stop. Turn, let's turn it. Let's put him back God where he ought to be. Look at another one. Uh, Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew 15, 11. Matthew 15, 11. This is a beautiful one that Jesus flips around. He flips it beautifully for us to understand. He says this. He says, it's not... What goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. That's really odd, isn't it? Again, he's, he's turning it around. He's saying, I want you to stop for a moment. You got it all wrong, guys. You got it all wrong. And, and remember, he's talking to a people who were quite fanatical around the things they ate. They were quite religious, literally. They were quite religious and, and literal about a lot of things that they were required to eat. And so they, they, they focused heavily on the things they were allowed to eat and the things that they weren't allowed to eat. And so, so they, would, they, would, they would be very careful. And yet at the same time, what they were forgetting was that they were, that this wasn't what ultimately was going to defile them. What they were forgetting and what was coming out of their mouth what was coming out of their lives, what was coming out of their minds, they were the things that were actually defiling them because these things proceeded from their hearts, Jesus said. Because no matter what kind of food you eat, your heart isn't going to become defiled. You might break a law, but it's not going to defile your heart. Your heart is defiled by the things that come out. And so what Jesus is saying quite simply to them is you've got to, we're going to flip this around again. This is You need to understand what what is intended and what you what is expected of you now again jesus isn't saying okay now because everything that comes out of your mouth go eat whatever you want to eat and go um, be a glutton and, and and go and and have whatever food you want and don't look after your health and don't look after your body of course that's not what jesus is saying but what he is saying is this if you are going to be so focused on what goes into your body what goes into your system more than what is coming out, 
because you got it wrong. So someone who has a very strict disciplined diet or someone who has an amazing particular form of diet that helps them, good on them. Go for your life. I, I think that's great. If you can be self-controlled and you can, that's fantastic. But if you do these things at the neglect of what is significant in the eyes of God is what's coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of your life, you got it all wrong. A man who eats well but has a loose tongue. A man who eats well but has a lustful eye. A man who eats well um, but speaks rudely of people. A man who eats well and he lies all the time. What is that? That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Anything you take into your system, for sure. Look after yourself. Go for it. Go for your life. Go, look after yourself. But never at the expense or at the neglect of what is coming out. Make this your priority, brothers and sisters. In the kingdom of God, this must be our priority. Above all things, that we may guard our hearts because from this proceeds the issues of life. And so while we want to be careful, perhaps, just for health reasons, we never want to do it forgetting that what really defiles a man is what comes out. This is the area that must be overcome. Are you self-controlled in the condition of your heart? Are you self-controlled in the looseness of your tongue? Are you self-controlled in the pursuit of your greed and pleasures? These are the things that will defile us. These are the things that must stay pure in our hearts. And thank God, because the pure in heart shall see God. So Jesus flips it around and he wants to put a greater emphasis on what's coming out and not what's going in. And how, how religiously pretty that we can present if we want, if we want, we'll always focus on what's going in. Oh, look, isn't it good because I look after what's going in? But no, no, no. What's coming out? And let the Lord be Lord of this. Look at another one. Matthew 23, verse 11. Uh, you'll, you'll be very familiar with this one as well. Matthew 23, verse 11. He's speaking in the context here of the um, Pharisees. And he's saying to them this, because he's telling, you know, some people call you father, some people call you teacher, and, and perhaps because they were a group of people who liked these kind of uh, praise, applause recognition do you like that as well do you like to be applauded recognized praised all the time you know it's something's wrong if someone hasn't recognized something you've done you'll stop doing it if they don't recognize what you've done or is there a greater master in heaven that sees all things you do even if you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and what Jesus is saying to the, to the Pharisees is this. He says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Look at that. He flips it around. Beautiful, isn't it? Another one. He that's greatest among you shall be your servant. And he says a similar thing to the disciples when they're also disputing about who's going to be the greatest among them. And I'm, I, always, I always get I'm curious, what were they talking about? Were they talking about their competency? Were they talking about their abilities? Were they talking about how much they were close to Jesus? Were they talking about how much Jesus spoke to them and how much time he hung out with each one of them individually and showing like a favoritism? What were they basing on? What were they basing on their greatness, the disciples? How were they, like the church today, how do we determine if we had a competition, who's the greatest in the church? What would we base it on? How much someone preaches? How much someone brings people to the Lord? How much someone uh, 
establishes ministries? What would you even base it on? All, all the outward human type of things that we consider to be great. And then Jesus brings a little child and says, you've got to be like a little child. <laughs> Probably the least capable and least able, but maybe the most passionate, loving and free in their lives. I don't know. So he says to the Pharisees, you know what? I'm going to flip this around. If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. Now, again, Jesus isn't saying to people today, oh, you know, um, you know, there's no, there's no such thing as good leadership skills. For sure, there are good leadership skills. That's obvious. We, we go and we, we, we establish good leadership skills. But if you want to be great, if you really want to be great, then you've got to start somewhere, and it's called the washing of feet. You've got to be a servant. That's greatness. That's greatness. And I wonder, um, you know, in our pursuit of greatness of life, whether we, we forget step one. We're running to step two. We're running to programs, leadership skills. We're running to all these things. We, we go to step two, three, and four, and they're not bad, but we neglect step one. Humble yourself. Be a servant. Deny yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Wash their feet <clears throat> because Jesus is saying this is, this is the greatness. He flips it around. And the world is so damaged that he says the people of this world lord over them. They're bossy. They dictate. They tell them what to do. They, they, they boss them around. There is no love in their hearts. They're just like it's all about their way. And Jesus, like, Jesus I'm going to flip this around again. If you want to be great. Whatever you do, are you submissive to one another? Do you submit yourselves one to another? This is greatness, brothers and sisters. And then finally, what Jesus does to flip things around is in Matthew 23, verse 27, 28. And he's speaking to the same group of people and he says this to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he says hypocrites. That's a really strong word Jesus uses here. Because you know hypocrite is like, a, like an actor on a stage. Does one thing in front of Christians or does one thing in front of the world. And then behind the scenes, they're a different thing. And they're, when they're really themselves. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus is concerned because they've got it the wrong way round and they're damaged and they're fallen and they're believing it to be normal. And he's saying you've got it wrong. You're looking outwardly, you're looking religiously pretty. You got your beautiful garments. You got your lovely tie. You got your lovely vocabulary as Christians. You know, you even you even know what to do at the right times. He goes outwardly. And again, this has got nothing. This is not Jesus putting down outwardly being right. You have to be. But like we said a couple of weeks ago, you don't start with the outward, you start with the inward. You know, and then they come out to the outward. So the outward must still present rights, but that's not the focus. Jesus is saying here is you've been focusing on this and making sure everyone sees 
Christian in you or on you. <laughs> yes, but inside it's dead bones. And he uses the, the illustration of the whitewashed tombs, the tombs that are really quite precious and white on the outside and being cared for and clean on the outside. And, and these tombs, but, just, but inside they're just dead bones. He goes, you've got to get it right. You've got to get it right. You've got to be focusing on what the people don't, people don't see. You've got to be asking the Lord Jesus Christ to heal the areas people don't see, the bitter hearts, the unforgiving heart, the greedy heart, the lustful heart. You need to be dealing with these things from the inside. You need to be crying out to the Lord and say, Lord, rescue me at this place of life because this place of life can be overcome in Jesus' name. The issues of life, brothers and sisters, is often not what people do outwardly, but often what is going on in the state of their heart, the condition of their, on their heart. And Jesus wants to turn that around and he wants us to focus on those things that are good and proper. Now, how beautiful is this? Because Jesus takes these messed up things and by the power of God and by the power of his spirit, and through often a heart of repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he turns these things right way up. And he takes us from a path that is messed up to a path that is good. Do you want this? He takes us from a path that is crooked onto a path that is straight. Do you want this? He takes us from a path that is damaged and leading to destruction to a path that is life and leading to eternity. This is, this is the call. If you make Jesus Lord of everything and you absolutely surrender and full trust in him, not doing things like the world does it and the pattern of this world, but being led of his spirit and being guided by his truth and taking the example of Christ, coming to the end of ourselves, allowing Jesus to turn things the right way up again. I mean, when he does that, then he does all things beautiful for you psalm 119 all of a sudden the word of god becomes a lamp to our feet listen and a light to our what path all of a sudden what was messed up is now the word becomes a light to our path the path is now right uh, consider proverbs 3 if you acknowledge the lord listen yeah the right way up if you acknowledge the Lord in all of his ways, he shall make your paths straight. See what happens? He turns it right way. He turns it the right way. Psalm 23, um, he restores my soul. Yeah, he flips it around. He restores my soul. This is because of my repentance and faith in him. And he leads me in the paths, again, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen. So first he restores my soul and then he brings me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How beautiful is that? He takes what's messed up, he restores it and puts me on the right path of righteousness. Proverbs 4, the path, listen again, the path, the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. How beautiful is that? God takes us from a path that's living the wrong way and he puts us on a path that is that has his word as the light, his righteousness as the way that shines brighter and brighter. Which one do you want to be on? 
which one, not just you want to be on, which one do you need to be on? Because brothers and sisters, he's Lord. And I pray this morning that when you see the world and perhaps your heart gets attracted to the things of this world and considers the things of this world, just like the enemy did to Jesus, that you can remember that it is actually upside down. And if you're attracted to that, I don't know what else to say to you, but I'm giving you and I'm sharing with you this morning the truths of Jesus who wants to flip it the right way up again. Come to Jesus, trust him in this and make him Lord. Let me pray for us, brothers and sisters. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord God, for the path of righteousness that you lead us to. Lord, guard our hearts from a world that is upside down and heading for destruction. And I pray that through this time that we remember, whether it's one week or two weeks, we pray for a speedy outcome of this situation we're in. But that most importantly, Lord, we don't respond like the world, but we continue to trust you as Lord. Father, give us clarity not to follow the patterns of this world. Give us clarity, Lord, faith, strength, love to follow your pattern, your ways, your blueprint, your blueprint of life that you may be glorified through our lives. Bless the church, Father. Make your face to shine upon them as they continue to reach out in love for one another and in love for this world. Help us to do this well. In Jesus' name. Amen.